You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hi, I'm Mark. Hi, I'm Josh. Hi, I'm Stephen. And this week we are going to be, well, we're just going to sort of randomly pick stories from the new series and just whatever thoughts pop into our head, we're just going to waffle on about them for a bit. A bit like a certain other podcast that should go unnamed. (laughs) No names. (laughs) Uh, but with new series stories instead of old series stories. It's a brilliant Ooh. idea. Yeah. It, yeah. Who came up with that idea? <sighs> Who was it, Josh? Was it you or was it me? I think I think it was collaborative. I think we we both we both decided we were going to do well, we were going to do classic series, and it was yeah. just a question of like how we were going to do it. We were thinking about like should we. Should we select it before and then present it? You know, next week we're going to do Planet of the Daleks. But then, like, I, I think we were back and forth and texting Stephen, and why don't we just do it randomly at that very moment? And that made yeah. it um, much more interesting for both of us and much more fun for both of us. And also, we hope for the, for the listener. And it, oh, it means there's less work for us to do because there's no research or you know, watching involved. We, right, we just exactly. have to wing it. Like we're going to exactly. do today, apparently, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Oh, I can imagine. Oh, next week we're going to do Caves of Androzani. Oh, God, do I have to watch that again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this way you don't have to. Well, you kind can of always, like that. always watch Caves of Androzani again. J-O. Yes. <laughs> Some, sometimes I think maybe we should have watched the story again recently. You know, if we were to do, say, The Highlanders or something like that. That was a great episode. <laughs> yeah, actually, the ones where you haven't make for better episodes. As we listen to you two struggling to think of things to say. Yeah, yeah, those yeah, are we the best. And we're almost done all those ones. All the, the Highlanders, Smugglers, uh, Savages. Savages. Those are sort of the big three. The big three that stick out as the ones I know nothing about, and we've sort of moved on from them. So, lucky yeah. us. Yeah. Oh. You're into uh, fertile territory from now on, then. Uh, yeah, no, we still have the space pirates, the macro terror. Yeah, we well, don't worry. We still have many yeah, we... memories oh, to cheat. Oh, space pirates! That's going to be exciting. <laughs> right, should we get stuck in? Yeah, yeah, let's. Okay, do it. right. The first. Oh, we're starting with series one. Sweet, Christopher Eccleston, and the story we're going to be talking about is. Uh. Oh, it is Dalek. Ah. Why did I think Dalek was going to come up? I, w- I was, like, thinking Dalek the whole time. Hmm, I, was, I wasn't thinking Dalek. I was thinking, how are we going to explain it if one part of a two-part story comes up? Are we going to talk about a two-part oh. story or just <laughs> yeah, that one episode? Yeah, the two-part story. Both episodes. If a two-parter comes up, both episodes. Yeah, it was an anticipation of a story to talk about. It was logistics of talking about which story, that's all. Mm. That's what was the lead topic in my head. But instead, we'll talk about Dalek, I guess. So, when Dalek came on, I'm assuming everybody was particularly excited for this one. 
it was the one that sort of everyone was looking forward to, wasn't it? Because it was, I mean, they it was the beginning of that whole uh, tent pole, if you will, in the middle of a season, sort of putting a big, mm. you know, showpiece episode uh, so the ratings don't drag. Really, when you think about it, that's, you know, this sort of started, kicked off uh, the Stephen Moffat idea of splitting a series in two because it's so difficult to maintain momentum for 13 straight weeks that you have to put a seminal Doctor Who episode like Dalek in the middle of a season as opposed to at the end or at the beginning because it would be it, Dalek itself I think would have been a fantastic start to a half season now that I think about it or even a great end to a half season that too that too exactly yeah. yeah what do you think of the half seasons do you do you prefer it or do you really dislike it or are you just kind of ambivalent I like them uh, uh, because by season four when they're really scrambling for stuff and they're having to invent yeah. stuff like the doctor's daughter uh, and shoehorning Martha Jones in just so because you know Donna has to have a role as the the conscience of the Doctor because he now has a daughter for whatever reason that is never ever mentioned again on the show. Yeah. You know, it's just stuff like that that don't aren't necessary in a in a split season like that. You can sort of contain stories uh, to like six or seven episodes. I have to say I agree. I like the split seasons a lot. It, really, it kind of makes... Uh, it's not just that it also spreads Doctor Who out throughout the year or the whatever period it is you're going to have Doctor Who in. It also makes it feel like you have something more to look forward to by there being less there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. It makes it makes it an event. It makes it appointment television mm. because you'll in yeah. next month you'll miss it. It'll be gone, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of, if you've got, I'm kind go of on, amb- sorry. I'm kind of ambivalent about it, to be honest. Go on. Well, I mean, uh, take take this this past season as as an example. You know, the name of the Doctor was last last week, and it just feels like Doctor Who just started again, and now it's gone again. You know, mm. and I don't know. I, I um, I mean, I, I like the fact that I have something to look forward to, but at the same time, you know, I need my thirteen weeks. Yeah, and, and the other thing, sorry, the other on, thing Mark. as well. If you're splitting it in two, invariably in a whole season, there's a bit of a dip in the middle, and you're kind of seeing that front and center. If you're seeing that at the very start of a run, rather than uh, being able to see all the stories in that sort of chronological order. Hmm. But in a way, as Stephen says, you don't need to stick episodes like The Doctor's Daughter in where you're deliberately manufacturing something. Like The Bells of St. John, if that had been in the middle of an actual season rather than the start of the second half of a season that was separate from the rest, you'd have had to do a whole lot more than just have the story about the, uh, you know, whirly head things. Hmm. You'd have had to stick in something. Well, you'd have... In order to make that story work, you'd have perhaps had to have had Clara and Amy meeting and handing the bat on in an episode in which they both appear, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, se- Season 7, Series 7 still had its weak points, regardless of whether it, it was pushed yeah. over, you know, two two different seasons or pushed together. It still had its weak points, and I, I'd, I'd measure it up against any of the other series, regardless. So, So maybe you had that the Doctor's Daughter in Series 4. But you have the Rings of Akatan, you know, in Series yeah. 7. Mm. So, I mean, it just... All, all it is... I mean, that's why I say I'm ambivalent, because I, I definitely see your points. It makes sense, and I really look forward to it this spring. But at the same point, it just seemed like it was it was there and was gone very, very quickly. 
And you know what? We've not really said anything whatsoever about Dalek at all. <laughs> Did anybody not enjoy Dalek? Good. No, I love Dalek. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the, inter- <laughs> the very interesting things about Dalek is that it was, first of all, Rob Sherman's only story, right? I mean, the only mm. one he wrote, and really it was a... Uh, it was sort of jubilee the big finish story kind of re- mm. remade into into dalek and the other thing was that they weren't even sure they were going to be able to get the daleks yeah yeah so it, this it w- could have been the toclophane <laughs> <laughs> it could have been Can you imagine yeah that's true that's true so i yeah. mean it, it's this one was this one was highly fought for at the end of the day, and you know what? It felt like it. It was a very powerful story, and uh, you know, other than Adam, who I'm not a big fan of uh, overall, uh, I thought the story was really, really great. And and put and I, I Stephen mentioned the tent pole. I mean, it really was the tent pole on yeah. the, on that first series, which was really good series overall. So, I think uh, I think it's probably is one of the most important stories episodes mm. ever uh because it reestablished the daleks as formidable opponents you know yeah. there's still children walking around now in schoolyards uh pretending they're daleks pro- based on the you know what they could do with one dalek in this episode you know the spinning around the, the, the little the one thing yeah. they've never done since sadly enough really is that they had the little that his midsection would spin around and, and shoot uh, soldiers, and I thought that was quite impressive, you know. And this is after years of, you know, Tom Baker lambasting Dallas, you know, why don't you try co- climbing after us and, and being used in Kit Kat ads and everything else. And they were sort of becoming mm. a bit of a joke. And in, in one 45 minutes episode, uh, they were like their their legend was firmly established. And I don't th- I don't think they've ever been better than in Dalek because the one big thing is that it showed what one Dalek could do. Well, now you have to fight a whole army of them. Who could, you know, if one Dalek could do that, a whole army could destroy the universe in about 10 minutes, you know. So you have to sort of work against that. So they're almost too powerful in this episode. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you say that, Stephen, because, uh, you know, the whole Neil Gaiman thing about trying to make the Cybermen uh, scary again. Like, they don't need to have to do that with Dalek because it was done in Dalek. They, yeah. they actually made Dalek, the Daleks scary and not, you know, motorized dustbins or however they want to describe them. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a big a big reason for that is Christopher Eccleston too, because he his reaction to encountering him for the first time that wonderful scene uh, uh, where he he's, really sells he, it. like he's a prisoner of war encountering his captor and and credit has to go to Nicholas Briggs too who really turned a, a you know uh, he, he spun it a little a little more than Roy Skelton or uh, would have done perhaps or what the yeah, script would have yeah. done he's he's no longer a shouting ranting maniac he's a he's a scheming, you know, conniving alien inside this little tank here. And it was really great. The only thing I think lets that episode down is some of the direction. I think there's just a few too many static long shots of Daleks. Joe Ahern is too enamoured of his long lenses and you can't really do an awful lot with a long lens camera and I don't think it... I don't think it serves the Dalek very well. But apart from that, it's a brilliant script I just think it, I just think it would have been a slightly better episode if it had been a slightly livelier episode in the way it was shot mm-hmm. 
But that, you know what that's, I'm saying? Yeah, that's a testament to how things were done. In you know, mm, it's amazing yeah. how low budget comparatively uh, Series One looks now. Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, if you put Series One on now next to Series Seven, and it looks like there's you know 15 years between them. Not you know, not just seven or eight. Mm. Mark Dalek. Mm. Stephen really stole my thunder there because I was thinking it was it was make or break because. As Stephen pointed out, uh, before that particular episode, um, people would have kind of looked at them as not very much of a threat and quite a, a laughable sort of opponent. But it did a really fantastic job of putting them front and centre and making it a scary creature again. Right, guys, shall we move on to our second choice? Sure. Let's go on. Then. And, oh, we're on series three. And the story from Series 3 we're going to be talking about is... Oh, <laughs> you're going to love this. <clears throat> the story from Series 3 we're going to be talking about is The Sound of Drums and Last of the Time Lords. <laughs> 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 of all the stories... Blink, Human Nature, Gridlock, Ugh. no. Utopia, no. Oh, we get Sound God. of Drums and Last of the Time Lords. Oh, and I'm Sound glad of it, Drums uh, wasn't too bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I I actually find those two episodes quite watchable. They're they're fun to watch as long as you shut your brain off. <laughs> the sound of drums, the sound of drums. That's all I can think of. <laughs> no. But John Sim, you can't tear your eyes away from him. <sighs> you know, it's oh, poor John Sim. I, I imagine his I mean Sound of Drums is well, Utopia is the best thing he's ever been in and he was only in it for yeah. three minutes but it was just fantastic before that so by default sound of drums is the best episode that johnson has ever really been in as the master because uh last of the time lords is terrible and uh, and the end of time is truly horrid um, didn't you like anything about last of the time lords you know what um I like the stuff with Martha running around, the, her quest. As yeah, it that was I all like right. that storyline. There were bits of it that were okay. It's always the resolution and such, and, and there's and then there's a yeah. the strange uh, Gollum Doctor, which was just just uh, I, I honestly <laughs> I, I remember when this went out, and it was the first time when I saw that you know he'd, he'd become like, when he became an old man at the end of um, Sound of Drums. I thought, oh, this is intriguing. I wonder how they're going to get out yeah. of this one. But then they turn him into this strange little Dobby Doctor, and I remember thinking at the time, this is the first time that I've lost faith in this show to be amazing and dazzling and not make mistakes. You know, it might have had a couple little pit like Fear Her wasn't that good, but it was just a throwaway episode. I wasn't that mm. worried about it. But, you know, this, this was ending a series, and the previous two series enders, uh, Parting of the Ways and, and the Doomsday thing, were both spectacular, and I just remember just thinking, oh my god, I don't mm. like an episode of Doctor Who, like, a lot. I wasn't offended by Fear, but I was, like, just really, really ups disappointed with how that was played out, how they turned him into this strange, you know, ineffectual creature, and then he sort of rose from the heavens uh, because all the people yeah. said a yeah, word. that was a cherry on the top for me. And then, you Please. know, and it, yeah, and his big thing was, oh, and I forgive you, and oh, what is oh. this about? You know, this is... <laughs> it's coming back to me now. I'd actually blocked yeah. this out for a while, but, you know, 
and then burning them at the pyre like Return of the Jedi, and then some mysterious person picking up the ring, and you know, it just, it just, yeah, it set the stage for end of time as well, which I'm sure now we'll probably get in this randomized little. Yeah, no game. doubt. Yeah. And we'll like probably get Fear Her as well. <laughs> <laughs> but the like weird the thing was, go on, sorry, Mark, go on. I was gonna say I like the dialogue between the Doctor and the Master when they're having that chat on the phone. I think that works really well. Oh yeah, yeah, that is fantastic. And they actually, they actually read each other's lines. Like that is an actual mm. phone call you're watching. You know, that's the yeah. great thing about it. Wow. You mean when the but, master said, "Hey, doctor, what are you wearing?" Was that, was that the moment? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great way to do it, though. I really liked the way they did it. There, mm-hmm. the way they kept the two characters apart mm-hmm. and had the first conversation through the phone call. It made it a real, you know, it built it up so that by the end of the episode, when they finally meet properly, you're building it up to a big event. And then I guess you're looking forward to the next episode where you see those two characters going head to head for 45 minutes. And then, yeah, you get oh, the old doctor and the Dobby doctor. Yeah. Yes. It wasn't, wasn't that the first time the doctor actually talked to the master and Terror of the Autons? Wasn't it on the phone? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So it, yes, because it was the uh, oh, right. telephone flex yeah, right. scene, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. Ooh, so that was back. Yeah, that's the thing yeah. with Russell D. Davies is that is that he'll, I mean, say what you will about how he how he ends stuff. Uh, you know, yeah, I think it's it's been a mixed bag in, in terms of results. But I, I find that he's great at starting a series, and he's also great at just those little moments, those little where everything sort of stops mm. and has conversations, like Utopia, the brilliant conversation between uh, the Doctor and Captain Jack, uh, yeah. and yeah. the phone conversation, and the, <clears throat> the cafe scene in the end of time between the Doctor and... and, and um, Wilf. Wilf. Wilf, thank you. Yeah. Little scenes like that, which you can tell that he's had in his mind for a while, because there's so, been so much care put into them. You can, you can sort of tell when Russell D. Davies has sort of thrown something away and says, oh, that'll do. There we go. It's brilliant. Look at that. You know, he'll, he'll go on instinct more than actual careful thought. And I think that yeah. phone conversation has been in his mind probably since he was about 17 years old. Because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's been yeah, yeah. finely honed. Yeah. And then he goes, and, uh, and this off the back of Utopia and oh. Blink and Human Nature. I know. What a run. What a run for the series. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I thought I, I think only there's a run of episodes in series six, I think, that is the equal of that. But apart from that, I don't think there's been a run like that ever in the history of Doctor Who. I mean, you even you look back at seasons 13 and 14 and, you know, they dip. There's dips in there. Oh, bite, as much as bite, Josh your, bite your tongue. Bite your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but as much as you and I like the Android invasion, Josh, it is a dip. We can't argue with that. Well, I might argue that Series 5 doesn't have too many dips after Beast Below. I mean, after a victory. I think, I think it... it it's pretty good after that and mm. that's that's uh, just my feeling yeah. about it see i'm i i'm not a big fan of series five. Mm. Oh, really that that no. is probably my favorite of the new series yeah it's series, for me. series six is my favorite really? by a long way yeah wow i know that's so unusual that is it? unusual that is unusual i know i have to answer for that every time i mention <laughs> it on the internet anywhere mark you know, Last of the Time Lords. What did you think first time when you saw it? I thought it was a... Last of the Time Lords I thought it was really exciting. It built up really nicely. That sound then, of drums. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. The, uh, sorry, sound of drums, sorry. Yeah. And then Last of the Time Lords really, unfortunately, let it down. Um, oh, God, what can I say? Um, 
Did anybody did anybody do a thing whereby this is what I did when I first with a lot of Doctor Who well I say with a lot of Doctor Who with well with most Doctor Who new Doctor Who I find my anticipation is such that it's almost always a, at least a little bit of a disappointment and then when I rewatch I realize no it's not really disappointing after all it actually is great but sometimes when I rewatch and they haven't been that good I have to kind of in my head I have to kind of rationalize it so after watching <laughs> Last of the Time Lords yeah. after watching Last of the Time Lords I had to rationalize everything about it because I have to admit I watched the last 20, min 20 minutes of that in pure horror and now I've kind of come to terms with it and I can watch it like I said I can watch it for entertainment as long as I really try not to think about what's happening but the, you know the bit where the doctor resurrects and you know all the other stuff the conversations he has with the master at the end whether they're all forgiving each other or not and everything else I kind of try to rationalize that in my head so that when I rewatch it I can forget what's actually happening and just think about how I've rationalized it do you know what I mean <laughs> do you ever do yeah. that yeah I think I do that a lot actually um yeah but not, I mean, I think I do that more with the classic series than the new series. Um, because oh, really? I give the yeah. classic series a lot more leeway than I do the new series. Uh, but I think the best part of those two episodes really were, was the cliffhanger in between Sound of Drums and Last of the Time Lords. Because True Peril and, you know, Take Out One-Tenth of the Population yeah. was just scary and brilliant. And the Doctor looks powerless and, and Martha... Martha gets, you know, sent off and she's, I just, that was the, that was the part I liked about it. Um, when you filled in kind of both ends of that, it, it just didn't come together for me. And I, I do have difficult time rewatching the new, new series stuff when I don't like it. Yeah. Because I have h such higher expectations of it, I guess. Uh, yeah. That's kind of mad really, isn't it? We expect so much more from the new series when really to be honest it's still a television series and it's still on a budget and they're still producing you know perhaps not quite so much at the moment but for those first five years they were still producing more of it than they really should have if they wanted to keep the quality up mm -hmm. i think in the series two finale you had the sort of elements where rose's family were in peril and you kind of felt affected by that and you wanted them to pull through whereas martha's family i mean the mother was fairly uh, quite an unsympathetic character and the rest of the siblings really didn't get introduced very much into the story during the series, so it kind of felt nothing when they were kind of placed in peril at the end. It just didn't really work for me. Can anybody tell me what Martha's sister was actually called? Tish. Tish. Oh, oh. Well, well done. I couldn't have come up with that. <laughs> <clears throat> she what about was, Martha's brother, though? She's, she, was, she was very cute. It wasn't hard for me to remember her name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's not the only thing you remembered, Josh. <laughs> it's, well, it is a new series, so you can't count on anything. <laughs> can't count on me remembering a whole lot. Okay, I'm going to move on because that wasn't a good choice, was it? <laughs> oh! Oh, you're going to love this. Oh. The next series we're doing, well, the Joker has come up. I'm doing this with a pack of cards, and I threw the Joker in for the specials. Ah, okay. okay. Oh, All right. Joy. Okay, but here's the thing. With the specials, I have included all the specials in the same grouping. 
so we may not necessarily get anything from the specials year so for the specials let's see what we're getting and we are getting oh my god planet of the day <laughs> i knew it i knew it again again it's like i've got this psychic ability i knew we were going with that josh stop doing that oh my god yeah. I gotta you're jinxing that. it josh. Yeah. Oh jinxing it for sure oh. well what did anybody think what was anybody's what was anybody's initial impression of the very first minute of planet of the dead god i'm you so know? happy doctor who's back that yeah. was the first yeah. minute that was the first minute yeah, the cat suit worked. Well, I like you know Michelle the scene Ryan. on the bus, and I'm just thinking, oh my god, have we waited x amount of months, five months or whatever it was, four or five months, and we're going <laughs> to have another wait afterwards of another six months for this? Yeah. Well, at least he wasn't I, in a kitchen. At least they weren't in no. a kitchen. So. I th- I think that was the big problem with with what you know. It it would have been fine. I think I've said this before on different podcasts. It would have been fine if it was stuck in the middle of a season. Yeah, you could just sort of, you know it would have been a passable adventure uh, if you just oh well that was all right it was a bit of an enjoyable romp let's look forward to next week but the fact that you're right like Waters of Mars followed like seven months after the fact mm. um, which was you know so you think there you go folks enjoy your summer that's all you're getting you know and you know it's like Russell T Davis says there's going to be this year of specials and your automatic thought is you know you know if you're a band. And you're putting out singles. You always try and make each single more important and better than the last, right? Mm -hmm. And you get to Planet of the Dead and you're thinking, this is in the middle of an oasis of Doctor Who. Russell T. Davis is going to have to have done something really special with this. And then basically, yes, you're right. You just get a slightly middling mid-series adventure with a bit of filming in Dubai and an extended running time by 15 minutes. And that's all it is. It's a it's a mid season adventure. Yeah, the I, I didn't think honestly I don't think the the sixty minute format so to speak uh, serves a lot of stories. I think it's it it almost you know makes makes it feel like the new series version of a six parter. There always just seems to be a bit of dragging going on. Yeah, some yeah. episodes have managed to fill it up. I mean, eleventh hour is wonderful and it doesn't seem to drag at all. You do have a new doctor to to you know introduce and such, and I think a, a couple of the other Moffat ones have been good. And I thought Voyage of the Damned, quite frankly, was was I like it a lot better. Than, Me too. Than Me too. most people do, and it was like the longest thing was like seventy one or seventy two minutes long. But actually, it filled the time. It did exactly. It, did. it you know it, perhaps just because of the way the story was. It was a giant disaster yeah. epic. You sort of had lots of incident and stuff to do, and there wasn't a lot to do. There's a lot of waiting around in the bus, and you know mm. women on on <laughs> buses. Uh, this is the unfortunate thing. It sort of started this whole prophecy thing. Uh, oh, on yeah, Doctor yeah. Who, which which oh, should never God. be, you know, it, it should never <laughs> dip into this sort of magic prophecy thing that that you you know mystical adventures, um, and, and that's you know for some reason the Doctor believed this this soothsayer on a bus as being the you know a portent of his doom. Um, that would work only if your entire series was based around that. You know, uh, Stephen Moffat he does kind of magical science. You know, there's a mixture of the fairy tale and the scientific in there. Mm-hmm. You, you could get away with that kind of thing if you're doing that every week. Yeah. But if you're doing Doctor Who like Russell T. Davis has, which is a bit like the Barry Letts era of Doctor Who, perhaps, with, you know, alien invasions of the home counties, and there's a lot of monsters running around with guns, and then somebody, you know, all of a sudden you've got a soothsayer, it doesn't fit. 
it's totally adrift, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it and it it sort of you know it settled down for Wars of Mars. God, I wish we'd have got that one. That's one of my favorite mm. stories of all time. Uh, I hate the last fifteen minutes. That absolutely hate it. Really? Yeah. I. You know what? I think I would. I'm going to shock you here. I think I would rather watch Planet of the Dead than Waters of Mars. Wow. I don't like you anymore, Jair. I don't like you at all. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't get on with the Time Lord Victorious thing. No? I, no, I really don't. I really don't get along with that. And because you don't have that in Planet of the Dead, I can sort of... Planet of the Dead, I can sit down, switch it on, get a cup of tea, turn my brain off, and just enjoy the pretty pictures. Well, I mean, the, ta- a, the Time yeah, Lord, the Time Lord Victorious thing was a means to an end, right? I mean, yeah, but it, it and they didn't keep it going, and I was fearing that they were going to keep it going. Yeah, um, oh, that would have been terrible. And and uh, it was just a means uh, at that point. Uh, I think overall the story is much better. It, mm, it, yeah, it, it kept you on the edge of your seat versus the Planet of the Dead, which was. I know, which is just flabby. It it is. It's a it's a great way to put it. It it was Mm -hmm. flabby. Yeah. It's it's a funny it's funny to look back. We in North America here because that was the first episode that ever aired on BBC America. It's when when they took it over from from right. Yeah. And it aired in June. They they had a big giant uh, premiere for it at San Diego Comic Con in June or July of that year. Must have been June, and it's just funny. Already seen it. I guess I know. Like it'd been like. You know, three months in between airing on the UK, in the UK, and you know, just sort of, hey, here's this thing called Doctor Who now on BBC America. And it's just funny to think, you know, it's it's less than four years ago now, how far Doctor Who has come in the esteem, mm. uh, you know, in in this country. You know, it was a big thing then at San Diego Comic Con when David Tennant was there and Russell D Davies and Neil Lynn and John Barrowman was there for Torchwood, of course, because uh, Children of Earth was airing in the summer. And to where it is now, uh, where it's, you know, BBC America's flagship program and, you know, Doctor Who is on the cover of major American magazines. And it's just, you know, it was it had a humble beginnings. And despite the fact that it was four years into its existence as a new series in, in North America, it was sort of an overnight success. And it's, it's odd that it sort of started with this episode as opposed to uh, something good. Now, was that, <laughs> yeah. was that the first time it was day and date? Steven, no, or? it wasn't day and date. That's the thing. It aired three we- three months after the fact, and then Waters oh, of Mars, I think, aired. I want to say Waters week of Mars before Christmas. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and End of Time was actually the first time it uh, it went out day and date uh, with the UK because uh, I think BBC America aired it on Christmas Day and bo- on New Year's Day, and Space here in Canada aired it. I think both on New Year's Day. Um, we take that for granted. We we so take that we for do. granted now. We do. You know, it was a strange time, and it was the first HD broadcast. So it was like intended to launch that whole aspect of things as well. So why not go to Dubai and make it look pretty? I mean, it, it's when you look back on it. Well, this is sort of what the, the you know the ground that the memory cheats usually covered. But uh, when you look back on it, it was just an interesting time for the you know the development of the series. Uh, Did you two go through a period then where because it wasn't day and day you were downloading stuff, and were there times when you had trouble getting hold of stuff? I I very seldom did have troubles. I've never gone to bed on a Saturday night without watching Doctor Who. Let's put it that Uh, way. Yeah. Yeah, no comment in case the police are listening. <laughs> no, to, but to be fair, to be fair, I want to say that everything that I've downloaded in my 
my history, I have purchased. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right? oh, yeah. I've, yeah, I have purchased everything I've ever downloaded. So I, I say that with with conscience. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me too. And me to too. be to to be honest, you know, this is the thing that's always struck me about downloading. They're making these programs for you to be able to watch for free anyway. Does it really matter that much how you watch them for free? Because it's not as if you're paying for them on a, you know, a pay-per-view subscription where you're actually, you know, like with maybe a sports match, you're actually paying for the match. You're not paying for the program. No. So where you, where no. you get it from, as long as you have the channel that it would have shown up on eventually anyway, does it really matter? Well, I, I would say it doesn't but at the same time you want to put your support behind in, yeah, in every yeah. way shape or form to keep it going mm. and and um therefore i try to at least purchase so-called a license to to watch it by yeah. buying a dvd or buying a digital download so um that keeps my conscience in check but but yeah i'm with steven i, I couldn't get through a saturday night <laughs> <laughs> without 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 getting downloading it because and that that's from day one um back in the days of rose then yeah how long did it take to download an episode oh my god then? Uh, for me it took forever it took seven hours or something like that back then wow yeah that's a lot of downloading to go through just for an episode of doctor who yeah well it was worth it yeah, right, it it's worth doctor it. who <laughs> exactly <laughs> it was mark out. Yes. Bringing it back to Planet of the Dead, Mark. Yes, I think much was made about the whole thing of going to Dubai to film, and quite frankly, they could have filmed that in Devon, really, couldn't they? They could have just gone to the beach, stuck the the bus there, and I don't know if it would have looked that much different with the aid of CG horizons and what have you. How did it need to look hot and sunny? Wouldn't it have looked better, actually, if it had been filmed somewhere cloudy and rainy and windy? Mm -hmm. I think so. I like the design of the um, the creatures, the whatever I can't even remember the name of them now. The flying creatures that go around. Tritovores, I think. Weren't they called? Is that what that's that's oh, the one. That's goodness. the one. No, isn't uh, that the flying creatures? Or am I getting this the wrong way? Around? Oh, hang on a minute. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, the the, the, the manta the flying, ray creatures, the flying manta ray things with the metal teeth. They were pretty cool. The Monoptera. Yeah. <laughs> Ask, oh, us, so ask, ask us to remember the production assistant on the image of the Fen doll. We'll get it right. But we can't remember an alien race <laughs> from four years ago. No, it's awful. Well, what was the name of the planet? Unnamed <laughs> planet in HD. I don't know. Planet of was the it, Dead. Was it? No, they called it... Was it not San Helios or something? It might have been something like that. I'm going to call it Iridius just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you should call it Mariners for even more fun. <laughs> Oh, okay, God. I'm going to move on because we're not on a good streak here, are we? No. Next up, oh, my favorite. Next up, Series 6. All right. Oh. And the story we shall be covering from Series 6 will be... Oh, that's interesting. Curse of the Black Spot. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what on earth is going on with this wow. podcast? This, this experiment is going to hell, I'll tell you. This right. podcast reviews the all the worst episodes in one hour. <laughs> we started off so well with Dalek, didn't we? I know. Yes. This, this is making a testament to your catchphrase. You know, we're, we're talking 60 <laughs> minutes before talking to you so you don't have to. Because nobody, none of you would want to. Yeah. I have to say, though, and this is probably one of the reasons why Series 6 is my favorite se- series season. Curse of the Black Spot is without question the worst story in that series, uh-huh. and yet I really enjoyed it. Wow. 
I didn't hate it. I'll say that. Um, yeah. It was on a boat. I love boats. It's pirates, and I like pirates. <laughs> it's, it's, it's on a boat. That's why I liked it. Yeah. It has pirates. <laughs> that's why I liked it. I thought the uh, the uh, woman, uh, whoever what her name was, uh, I thought she was quite creepy when she turned into like red fire hell girl mm. mode. Which, oh, yes, yeah, yes. That was quite frightening, actually. And um, that Star Trek ending, I loved it. I don't know why. The fact that it was like, you know, two alternate time spaces colliding. Yeah, and it, was... it, it felt like Stones of Blood, actually. It had yeah, a, it it like a Stones of Blood feel towards the end. Yeah, and the smugglers meets the stones of blood. Yes, exactly. It was perfect. <laughs> the smugglers of blood. There we go. <laughs> and it's interesting to note that that's... both production codes have a C in them. There you go. There's your connection. The... Oh, that's Shipansky for you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's set at C as well. Oh, my goodness me. The connections are overwhelming. Oh, well. I'd rather go with the but... stones of smugglers, personally. I think that sounds better. The stones the... smugglers, perhaps. Yes. The Stone Smugglers, I like it. Didn't <laughs> they call one of the uh, pirates Jamaica in the uh, uh, Curse of the Black Spot, or did I imagine that? Did like they? a little trippy. I don't know. I thought I did. I thought I remembered that. Maybe my memory's Jamaica. cheap. Jamaica! <laughs> yeah, I think it probably is. Yeah. Wasn't... Uh, wasn't... No, this is my memory cheating. Jamaica wasn't the Highlanders. Of course it wasn't. Oh, I don't no, know why. It was, it was the Smugglers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I'm thinking that. Look, and also, you know the bit at the end, and, you know, sometimes fans take these things way too seriously. At the end, these pirates are going to go off in the spaceship instead of back on the other ship. Yep. And I just think, I just thought that was a great, fun way to end the episode. And yet most people are like, oh my god, you can't do that, they've not been trained to fly a spaceship. (laughs) I just thought, does it really matter? It's a nice scene at the end of the episode, and it yeah. was funny, and I liked it. Yeah, I, I didn't mind that bit at all. I, th- I think it does get a bit of a bad rap, and yes, it is the you know the worst, which is why it explains I think the the placement of that episode. It's be, it's after the two part dazzling uh, mm. uh, premiere, and then right before the tentpole, the Neil the first Neil Gaiman episode. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And the fact that they actually it was originally going to be Mark Gatiss's story. Uh, third, and they swapped it, uh, Night Terrors, yeah. with this. And I think they probably said, well, I think Night Terrors is probably a bit better than this. We'll save it for the second half, because it's, it's it's so interchangeable. In, a, in, a, in an arc-driven series, I found that rather yeah. odd, actually. Yeah, in fact, if you... Yeah, because at, at some point, because the black spot would have to have been after Amy knew she'd had the child, and at some point, Night Terrors would have to have been while she didn't know she was still pregnant, and yet, there you go. Yeah, I think yeah, they just they, they probably did a a little bit of a pickup with her noticing um mm. uh eye patch yeah. lady uh yeah. po- poking out of the wall and that was it. And that was it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah. night night terrors in and god complex being in the same kind of area of the series kind of annoyed me because it sort of felt a little samey to me. You know, a little cor- corridors hotel, estate, that kind of thing. I don't know. But you know what would have been worse? If they'd have put Curse of the Black Spot right next to the God Complex, because they both start in a in an historical location of a kind, and they both end up in an altern- alternative universe type, you know, occupying the same time and space kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. They would have both have got, you know, that was why they had to move it, I which think. Is, which is, yeah, exactly, which is the reason why they had to do that. But, I mean, yeah. it shows that some of this was it felt like it was getting tired in series six a little bit with Moffat. but you know i had the opposite thing my reaction to that series was all these writers are on the same page 
there's a consistency between the stories that even though you know there's a pirate story here and there's one in a hotel here and you know all the other stories you've got in that season and yet there seemed to be a consistency about it it was it was it was to me it was like hard science fiction ideas done as magic Mm -hmm. throughout the entire series and i loved it i loved that I think yeah. I think this is when Moffat sort of cast a little more, you know, his influence across all the stories, which mm. he, he reportedly didn't do very much of in series seven. And he can yeah. tell that there's a certain cohesiveness, isn't there, throughout the whole yeah. series, despite the, the, the varying uh, settings and themes of each episode. I just think as well, if you'd have left Night Terrors in the first half and Doctor's Wife in the second half, and you'd have had a run of episodes, let's kill Hitler, the Doctor's <laughs> Wife, the Girl Who Waited, The God Complex, um, Closing Time, or was it The Lodger? No, Closing Time, and The Wedding of River Song. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I would have died and gone to heaven if you'd <laughs> had that run of six episodes. I really do. Yeah. But then, uh, The Wedding of River Song is one of my favourite new series episodes of all. Oh, well. Really? Wow. I know. I wow. don't know. Just because it's so mad. Oh. I love the madness of it. That anything can happen next. Anywhere could be the next place you visit. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you get that very often. You can see all the budget on screen there. And yeah, it kind of also makes sense and wraps up. And any story that's got a Roman chariot stopped at a traffic light while pterodactyls terrorize school children in a, you know, in the local park. Ugh. Yeah, you know, that, uh, again, I think it was kitchen sinky, <laughs> if you will. I know. Threw, threw everything in there, and I, I mean, I think we got the point that all time was mixed up. Um, mm. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not with you on this one, JR. I, just, I know. It was. I know. It's, it's very difficult for me to. I, I, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. It's not that it wasn't. It wasn't Last of the Time Lords. It, it was. It was watchable. It just. It just wasn't my favorite. No, no, fair there. enough. It's a was, decent season in in whole, but a my main problem with it was I I really liked the character of River Song, um, but that whole season just because the the focus of the story was getting more and more on River Song, it kind of detracted for me from the enjoyment of it. Too much River Song, yeah, or too not necessarily too many episodes with River Song in, but too much focus on River Song in the episodes. Yeah, mm. the the arc just became more about River Song really and it just kind of I much prefer season 5 I have to mm. say I don't it think doesn't I... have that narrative flow like you suggest in for season 6 I think mm. it has a better range of stories I think my problem with series 5 was that it felt like some of the people were writing Russell T Davis stories and some of them were writing Stephen Moffat stories and some of them didn't know what kind of stories they were writing and I just there's just a real inconsistency about series five like it doesn't know what it wants to be uh, and go on josh no i mean that's but that's what makes it good yeah, yeah. I, know, I mean i, I mean to be something to, different every week to, to be to be honest with you i mean the things that you're saying is is the the positives around series six and and for me i, I like not knowing what i'm gonna get next week yeah yeah. you know yeah, i mean so so uh, that that's probably why I like series five a lot is because of that. I don't know. Mm. But see where I'm coming from. I, I, I'm with you on that. I like not knowing what I get next week. But when I look back at the series as a whole, I look back 
at Series 6 and think stronger stories and a more consistent through line. And so I think the series hangs together better. So I'm not saying necessarily even I would have said I enjoyed Series 6 more than I enjoyed Series 5, although I think I did, but I'm not saying that's the reason why I like it more. I just think it's more consistent and I just... I find it something that I can think of as a whole, as an entity, more. Yeah, see, I, I and while I understand you saying that, I, I just thought it was, Series 6 was a more confusing Series 5. Seri- mm-hmm. Series 5 had the crack, and we know about, you know, I mean, everything kind of revolved around the crack in some way, shape, or form, and it, mm-hmm. was, it wasn't shoehorned in, it was, it was, it was in there, and, and a satisfactory conclusion... Whereas with Series 6, it just seemed very, very confusing. I guess, and I like timey-wimey stuff, but I just, <laughs> it just got, it got too wrapped around the axle with itself in Series 6. Mm. And, and, and made it comp- too complex. Yeah, maybe so. And, and that's we... just the way I feel about it, anyway. Should we move on? Sure. Should we see what's up next? Okay. Oh, Series 2. Ah! And, oh, Series 2 was a real funny one, didn't you think? After Series 1, you didn't know quite where the series was going to go next. Mm. It was it was probably my favorite series as a whole before Series 5 came along. Really? Yep. Okay. If you right. say fear her, I'm going to put down my microphone and walk around to your house and give you a slap. I thought slap. you were going to say, like, Love and Monsters. If, oh no, Love and Monsters is fantastic. Oh my god, we completely if, disagree. <laughs> <laughs> if Fear Her comes up, I will pick something else. <laughs> and the story that's come out, uh, Fear Her did come up, and I'm choosing, <laughs> hang on a second. Okay, we've got the Impossible Astronaut, oh, and the Impossible, impossible Astronaut, the Impossible Planet, and the Satan Pit. Can you believe that? Fear her did come up. Yeah, of course it did. <laughs> God almighty. We had to rig it. We had to rig it. <laughs> yes, I'm now rigging this podcast. Yeah. And I'm not only rigging it, I'm actually telling you how I'm rigging it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Impossible planet. Oh, wasn't that awesome? Scary. Really my... s- scary Doctor Who. It really is probably scary. My, yeah, it is one of the few times I've been scared uh, yeah. watching Doctor Who. I remember, I remember watching the last twenty minutes uh, solidly with my feet completely clenched and not even realizing it until the episode ended. And there's the scene with oh you know with God. Gabriel Wolf, you know, don't mm-hmm. turn around, Toby. That thing. I just like, yeah. Oh, it is. It is without a doubt. In I, I mean, I haven't. It's it's one of those stories where I haven't watched it in a while because I don't want it to lose its legendary status yeah. in my mind. I think it still is my favorite new series episode ever. Wow! Yeah, it's just it's, it's very very and I, I don't I don't think it, at my current age that Doctor Who scares me all that much. It's just fun, but that story scared me scared the daylights out of me. Yeah, me too. you're allowed to say. The word witless, if you like, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I think that makes it special in that there's been very very little that scared me like that. I mean, when I was a kid, Pyramids of Mars scared me a lot. Mm. Um, interesting, Gabriel Wolf. There he is. His his voice yeah, yeah. his voice scares the hell out of me. Mm. Um, and and this one actually had all of those elements all put together in one. And wow. <laughs> It worked. It really worked. Do you know what scared me the most? Or upset me the most? The fact that they got rid of Miana Buring first. <laughs> she should have never have gone mm. halfway through the first episode. But what a s- 
you know, a spectacular. I mean, the the music yeah. in this episode too, when she's sort of floating mm. in space, yeah. and that single cello. Just oh, like, oh God! Oh yes. Uh-huh. You know Fun what struck fact. me? Go, go on, sorry, Mark. Go on. Fun fact: We saw her uh, doing Shakespeare in the Park when I proposed to my wife. <laughs> really? Oh, wow, wow! Wow! In London? No, in Exeter. What? Really? Yeah. She came all the way down here. Yeah. For those of you on the other side of the pond, Exeter <laughs> is so far in the back of beyond, you wouldn't believe it. Oh, yeah. Wow. You're talking to someone in Western Canada, Jay. We have to drive an hour and a half to reach anywhere. <laughs> Exeter That's is down enough. the street to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably right. I can't believe she was in Exeter. Yeah. I just thought um, it was an awesome episode. Yeah. But the thing that... The f- when I rewatched it the first time, the thing that really struck me was... The first half an hour or so is all just exposition. But it's the way it's shot. It's really well directed, that one as well. Mm. And the writing also helps to disguise the fact that you're just learning things for that first half an hour. Yeah. It's all set up. But it really works. And then that cliffhanger. Oh. It, it, it's, probably the, it's probably the best um, new series, one of the best new, new series examples of using a two-parter. For you know, for yeah. the you know, using it well, not building mm. up to a, a cliffhanger just for the sake of it, not stretching anything. It's just you know, a horror episode like that is is when it really you have to lay the seeds. I mean, horror only works when you have time and patience to have things sort of sneak up on you. And I think it it really works because if this was confined to a one episode, you know, we wouldn't have had that no. turn round episode. There, we, we wouldn't even you know, we saw the beast at the very end of episode two. We didn't you know, and the ood only started to become possessed towards the ep- end of episode one. I can't imagine this thing being you know, compacted into 45 minutes. No, no, absolutely not. And the trouble with the other two parters is, the other two parters have all got a single 25 minutes expanded to the first 45, and then three 25 minutes contracted into the second 45. And even the best of them, which is probably the first Stephen Moffat one in series one, even that doesn't quite work, because it's too stretched across the first half Mm -hmm. and too condensed across the second. But you're right, on this one, it doesn't follow that format. So, you know, they don't have to condense and contract. It's brilliant. I think as convincing and uh, cool as the CGI Satan was, I agree with Stephen. I think the scariest bit was the whole thing of him looking over his shoulder and hearing the voice. That oh. freaked me out. Yeah, or, or the, the, you know, when they're running through the, uh, the air ducts, Running away from the, oh, the possessed yeah. dude, and the you and know turns when, around. when Toby turns around and mm. says "shush," I mean, oh my god! Yeah. Oh god! Yeah. Yes. Oh yes! Yeah. Oh, you just reminded me of that. <laughs> or, <laughs> no, it's or or when the, when they're on the little uh, the little vessel at the end with Rose and they're putting their yeah. seatbelts on and stuff like that, and Toby is there, and it, I just, I mean, it just, I, I didn't know how they were going to get out of that one, and. Mm-hmm. That's the best feeling in the world when you don't know how they're going to get out of it, and it's and it's that scary. It's mm-hmm. it's very good. And, and we should and we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't um, poo poo the the scenes on the planet where it's, it's what I can't remember the uh, the character's name. Ida, Ida? Or something it was Ida. Ida and the yeah. doctor, especially when he's sort of being lowered down. 
you know, and he reaches the end of the tether, literally, and he has to sort of disconnect mm-hmm. and fall and, and trust in, in faith that it's mm-hmm. going to be something to fall on. And just, the, you know, and it's great. The music in this in this sto- episode was, was brilliantly used. And, and yeah. remember when the, uh, the ooh-doo-doo-doo, that part was all through Series 1, but it was used sparingly in Series 2, and it just came back in right before the Doctor's going to sort of, you know, disconnect and fall. And he says, you know, when you, when you see Rose, tell her, Oh, she knows, and then and then he just falls yeah. into the blackness. Yeah. Just what a magical scene! This this whole yeah. story is filled with magical scenes, both in that regard and ones that make you know really give, make the ha- hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Yes, it, the odd thing about it was up until that point, I think that all of series one and all of series two up to that point had kind of had a certain tone to it that was kind of a little bit jokey and even when it was being scary it was still jokey mm-hmm. and i think that was the first story where you could actually have whole scenes where you weren't being reminded that you were watching a saturday night entertainment do you know what i'm saying do you know what i mean when i say that mm-hmm. yeah there were scenes that were just allowed to function isn't and it- i think that is it, isn't this the one where the rose is talking to the doctor about like getting a mortgage and stuff yeah. like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure about that when I first saw it, but I think <laughs> I think that pays off, though, in that here she is, okay, we're stranded, we've got no TARDIS, let's get a mortgage, get a house, settle down, and have an easy life. And then the next thing, you know, they're at the end of absolutely everything, talking to a monster that has been there since before time existed. It's like you go, you, the, you're talking on one hand about settling down in a semi-detached with a mortgage and on the other hand you've gone to the complete opposite end of the spectrum and it just that that conversation allows the horror at the end of that story to be that horrific yeah possibly mm-hmm. <laughs> we said before on the uh, planet of Z how i felt i couldn't really feel very much for oh not planet of Z. um the end of series three where i didn't Last really of, relate yeah. to the um the family of martha I think it says a lot for the quality of this story that you only get two episodes, but you're really wanting all those characters to come out at the end. They're all really good, and the cast were superb. <clears throat> yeah, David Tennant's friend from Cas- from uh, yeah. Castrovalva, Casanova. <laughs> I can't remember the actor's name. Sean Parks. Yes, yeah. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. very good. He's excellent. And the older guy as well, uh, whose name Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, amazing cast. Mm. Everything comes together in that story, really, yeah. doesn't mm-hmm. it? Thanks for rigging that, Jr. It really, it really, yeah. it really <laughs> felt good to talk about that. <laughs> yes, we could have had fear. You could okay. have waxed lyrical about Chloe Weber, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, we've got series five next. Ah, splendid. And the story we're going to be talking about from series five will be, you know, I have my uh, what's it called, the Pack of Fortune. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the story we're talking about from series five, oh, is the Hungry Earth and Cold Blood. Oh. Oh, really? Yeah. That's the best you could do from Series 5? Yeah. I know. Do you know what, though? That's one of those stories where when I first watched it, I thought, what the hell is this? And then when I rewatched it, it it's one of those stories that kind of clicks. And I just think the second time I watched it, I just kind of, yes, I can see what they're doing here. And, okay, might not be brilliant. Might not be brilliant groundbreaking telly. But what it is, is solid, entertaining Doctor Who. 
Yeah, first thing that came to my mind when I watched this was that they were hearkening back to Pertwee. It, it felt like yeah. a per- oh, yeah, Pertwee-related yeah. story. Mm. It was kind of in between the Silurians and Inferno. It was so from that from that aspect, I really appreciated it. Um, but it 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 wavered, and maybe this mm. one this probably shouldn't have been a two-parter in my view. Because it did it, this one. This one goes along with what you were saying before, Jr. About having to stretch, and it really felt like that. That was what this thing did. Um, but I love the new Silorians, and I. You do. Yeah, I do. I do. You're not one of those people who thinks, "Oh, they should have kept the third eye and all this no, kind of stuff." No, yeah. no, 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 no. 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 If they'd have kept the old masks, they would have just looked ridiculous. They would have looked ridiculous. Let's face it. I mean, it's not 1970. I mean, no. Grow up, people. It's not 1970. Um, <laughs> it, it 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 went very very well, and I I enjoyed that piece of it. But the story itself was sort of weak overall. There were a couple of there were a couple of things included that seemed to have been included for the sake of it because it was almost an homage to the third doctor the the demons thing where the the uh barrier yeah and it's night time in the day didn't seem necessary and then in the second half uh you know i loved seeing the silurian city i absolutely loved that but then when they sit three people down at a table you know or a silurian and a couple of people and say these people are going to speak from for earth and one of them is a stripper, and the other one is, you know... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, these people aren't going to speak for Earth. That was ridiculous, but... Yeah. I could we that. That. <laughs> we've always... we've always Mark's always been held to last, so I'm, I'm, I'm cautious of jumping in, yeah. because I feel we always steal his thunder. <laughs> Go on, Mark. Well, I think you've got a definite callback to the Silurians, even with the ending where he's trying to broker a piece with them, and it all goes a bit yeah. pear-shaped. Um, through one means or another, I thought it it worked. Um, not necessarily one of my favourite stories from that season. I agree with Josh. I really like the design of the Silurians. I thought that worked really well. Um, but yeah, not not one of the strongest ones for me. I th- Does any- sorry, go on. Well, I know I was. Um, I think the problem with this with this story and any story that you do about the Silurians or Sea Devils is, is Malcolm Hulk wrote such an interesting yeah. um, backstory to them and made them such sympathetic creatures that you, you know, to sort of make them, you only have, you have two options basically to do with the Silurians. You have, you can either m- turn them into inhuman monsters and, and disregard and indeed disrespect what, what they've meant to Doctor Who in the past, mm-hmm. or you can do basically what Malcolm Hulk did. And this is, a, yeah. you know, this is the third time we've seen this story, you know? Yeah. Uh, the Doctor, for some reason, was trying to, broker a piece between between obviously the hawks of the uh, Silurian and Sea Devil race because they were only bent on destruction. They weren't uh, bent on trying to live with uh, with humans. They were just wiping out sea bases uh, in Wars the Deep. But this is, you know, it was doing the exact same thing that had happened in, in Doctor Who and the Silurians and the Sea Devils. And it just played so Stephen, out the same what you're story. saying is that 
There should have been another way. There should have been another way, Mark. Exactly. But there isn't because Mac Hulk had already done it. You know, he'd already perfected yeah. this. He was that brilliant a writer that it, you couldn't do it. But if you want to see the Silurians again, you have to do it. So, if they, yeah. you know, poor Chris Jepson. That's true. Sort of had you know what I like, though, is um, the fact that Madame Vastra, we now have a Silurian who is, you know, on the Doctor's team. Yeah. I like that you can do that. Because you couldn't have done that with many of the species he's met over the years. No, but, it's a testament, to, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, to be able to do that must mean that the species that you're doing it with must have been written with enough dimensions and enough reality to make that be able to be believable. Well, I mean, I mean, it sort of makes sense, right? I mean, mm. not every one of uh, a species is going to be evil. That doesn't make exactly. much sense, right? Yes, mm. yes. So uh, it it does work, and it's like just as you can have good humans and bad humans, why wouldn't you have good Silurians and bad Silurians? Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, exactly. Uh, very intelligent species, right? And, yeah. And and we've we've been led to believe how intelligent they are, so. It isn't about being evil. It's about being intelligent, and you would think that intelligent <clears throat> creatures would would not be evil. You know, they or they at would least see would be able to, yeah, or at least yeah, would be able to empathize and see the differences, see other perspectives. Absolutely. You know, the story I'd really like to see told mm -hmm. is I'd like to see the Sontarans come back. And the story of how Strax has to deal with being the Doctor's friend as the Doctor fights the Silurians, uh, the Sontarans. Oh, wow. Yeah, I would too. That's that so, would make... sort of like an I Borg thing, I think, in there, isn't there? Didn't, didn't they? Oh, I don't Trek know do that. that? Jordy uh, came across a, a injured Borg and sort of nursed him back to health, and then they had to fight the Borg or something like that, and something, something. People had feelings, the end. <laughs> right. You know, that sort of thing. But, you know, I. <laughs> I think it would, it would sort of be tre treading on that sort of ground, but uh, it would be intriguing. I've not seen that, but I, yeah. but I could definitely see them doing that with the Sontarans. I, in fact, somebody said to me the other day. I think it was, um, I think it was Simon, the other one of the other fellows from our podcast, said, "Now that you've done Strax, you can't ever have the Sontarans back." And I said, "No." no. Just because you have a good Sontaran doesn't mean to say you don't also have bad Sontarans. It's just a different story. It's just a different character. Mm -hmm. And that's what made me think of it. And I think now that you couldn't have the Sontarans back without doing that story first. Yeah, I think that you could yeah. you couldn't disregard Strax because you know no. Starkey will inevitably be playing any Sontarans that'll pop up in the new series from now on. So you know you'd almost have to throw a line in. It, or, you know it could just be sort of you know. Wait a second, aren't Sontarans our friends? Oh, no, no, that's only Strax or something. And boom, there you go. Mm. We can get on with the rest of the story. And, but why yep. would you want to? Because Strax is so damn lovable that I'd hate to have him change. <laughs> yeah. No, you wouldn't want him to change. I think that would have to be the resolution of the story. Strax dabbles with the idea of going back to Sontar. Ha! Yeah. And then ultimately, in the end, decides his future lies with the Doctor. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember what story. We oh, The Hungry Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Featuring you know what? That says it all. Yeah, but do you know what? Chris Chibnall, uh, he had such a bad rap from those Torchwood stories and then did The Hungry Earth and 42 and people thought, well, that just consolidates the bad rap he's got from the... And then he did Dinosaurs on a Spaceship and uh, even The Power of Three, I mm -hmm. absolutely loved both of those. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
which just goes to show, I suppose, you don't know. And then Broadchurch. I don't suppose you two have seen Broadchurch yet, have you? Not I haven't. Yet. And I've Not been yet. thinking of watching it at some point, so d- careful it's with the really spoilers. Good. Yeah, I've heard that. Oh, yeah. Have you finished it yet, Mark? I have, yeah. Oh, it was just awesome. Mm, very, very good. Yes, that's my all I'll say on the subject of Broadchurch then is do not not watch it. <laughs> right. Oh, we're doing after series five. We're on series four. Oh, I say. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. You know, series four hasn't lived as well in my memory. I think I enjoyed it more when it was on than afterwards. I think I enjoy it more posthumously. <laughs> oh, really? The opposite to me. <laughs> Anyway, the story we'll be dealing with in Series 4 is... Oh, Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead. Huh. I don't know what to think about this one. Oh, I thought it was great. I love Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead. You know what it felt like to me at the time? It felt like... And in light of the fact that Stephen Moffat knew he was taking over... Yeah, there we go. It felt like, A... He was setting something up for his time. But even more than that, it felt like, B, he was doing Stephen Moffat's greatest hits to sign off on the kind of Doctor Who he would write for somebody else before he starts writing the kind of Doctor Who he wants to write for himself. Possibly, but, you know, not thinking that hard, the story itself was brilliant. (laughs) I mean, just, it was, it, it had all the elements I really like in Doctor Who, which is... It was fun. It was scary. The two shadows, come on. I mean, that, mm. that is really quite amazing. Um, a creature you couldn't see but destroyed you from the inside. Oh, boy. Wow. And <laughs> and, the, and the cliffhanger was really good. And the timey-wimey stuff with River. I yeah. mean, we don't find in the classic series a lot where somebody is going to meet the Doctor in the future and then he goes back and sees them before. I mean, all that was very, very right. new. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, all of those elements kind of put together make it a exciting and fun story. Also, the fact <sighs> that they're that they're putting... Uh, they're, you know, people are saved and they're really just saved on a hard drive. You know, yeah, it's just... Yeah. Uh, it's brilliant. I, I just love that concept. I mean, and... When you juxtapose that against the Bells of St. John, which happens but way later, it doesn't seem like a new concept anymore. Hmm. You know, whereas back in Silence of the Library, it seemed like a very new concept. So, that's my thought. I did everything... Go on, Mark. I was going to say, it looks stunning. I think it's... Is it directed that one? he did. Yeah, Yeah, um, he does an amazing job. The lighting is just beautiful. Um... Yeah, definitely one of my high points in season four. River Song, um, I felt, worked really well, and it kind of set up things quite nicely. Got a bit tired of her towards the end, but I thought her resolution to her story in season seven was, if that's going to be her final story, I think that's a really good send-off. Um, but yeah, I, I loved it. I thought the, um, the bits where you had um, Donna in the sort of the the virtual world um, work quite well the um, woman who gets killed off quite early the whole reveal of her not being saved particularly well was quite creepy that worked pretty well 
I loved all that. I thought that mm. was astonishing, Donna yes. in the virtual world. Mm. <clears throat> and really well, the way Stephen Moffat wrote it, and it was edited, so that you know her life is edited, but mm. she can't work out what the edits are and why they're there. I just thought that was amazing. Yeah, Miss Evangelista. Right? Yeah, that's it. Is that her name? Yeah. 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 That's the one. From Centrinians. <laughs> Trust you to remember that, Jay. Yeah, uh, well, again, I mean, you have a beautiful woman there, so. Yeah. So there you go. That's why I remember her name. Mm. It's really sad. I- I, I remember that now now it's starting to come back to me and I remember the, the pre credit sequence and Steve Steve Moffat has always sort of said like Oh, there's a fire. Um uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that was I thought it was Moffat's a cat. Head. Yeah, I know, that's what was. I thought too. <laughs> um as we wait for this fire two fire trucks to go by. Um uh, what was my train of thought? Oh okay. yeah, but he's always sort of trying to you know, write stuff like like a horse on a spaceship and, and girl in the fireplace. Yeah. He'll always sort of mm-hmm. do something to just keep you guessing and watching and and I remember watching the, the pre-credit sequence where, you know, this girl is floating through the air into this antique library. And I just thought, after like, you know, a few weeks of, I mean, we had, you know, the Sontaran two-parter, which was good enough. And, and, but mm-hmm. it was very, you know, it had a unit and it was, it was somewhat functional. Mm-hmm. And then we had the daughter's the daughter. And then, yeah, yeah. And then Unicorn and the Wasp. I think it was kind of a bit of a dip. And so all of a sudden, imagination and magic appeared in Doctor Who in, you know, in within two minutes of that first episode. And it just felt like they were almost saving up everything for this two-parter. And everything looked great. And it was, you know, it, it was it was timely, too, because they announced that Moffat was taking over as showrunner yeah. two or three days before this ep- the first episode aired. So people were sort of watching it now with a keen eye. Like, what are we going to... This is what's going to set the tone for the next few years now. So we better watch it more intently than perhaps we might have watched The Girl in the Fireplace or something like that. And you know what gets me? You know, Stephen Moffat was announced to be taken over. And so people are watching that story and thinking, this is the kind of Doctor Who we'll be getting. And then they seem surprised and disappointed when they got that kind of Doctor Who. (laughs) Yeah. This is, you know, where did that come from? I know. <laughs> I think perhaps they were more inclined to watch it when it was the one-off, and you know, yeah. and therefore slightly like, more unique. <clears throat> yeah, it's like all this magic. You can have it for one week out of the thirteen, but please don't give me magic. And when I say magic, I don't necessarily mean you know the kind of magic that the magician performs, but I mean you know televisual magic. Yeah, there's something about those Stephen Moffat stories. It's like a conjurer playing with the tools of the television trade. He's doing something that nobody else has ever done. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it in a dazzling and brilliant and amusing and entertaining and diverting and engaging way. And yet, when you get that on a weekly basis, people are like, oh, I just want a monster run around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, the, the more Doctor Who airs, I think the more, you know, the hardcore fans sort of are gradually realizing or at least everyone's realizing on their behalf that what they want is just uh, you know a mo- base under siege monster mm. episode they want classic doctor who uh yeah. in a new series format i think more and more uh, sometimes and i you know on that on that note it, i i know that russell g davies has never said that he'll he said he'll probably never come back to write doctor yeah. who but i think in a moffat era i think next year in series eight i would love to see russell g davies come back and just write one episode you yeah, know, enough oh, so time has passed. I think that that he could probably step back in and and you know come up with another idea, just one idea for one episode, and write another episode. It would be Ooh. cool. Yeah, oh, I love thing, that. I yeah. would love that. But the weird thing is the uh, 
Was it Death of the Doctor in the Sarah Jane Adventures? Yes. Yeah. That almost felt like that could have been it. Mm. Yeah, because that was a great episode. I really mm. loved that, that Sarah Jane story. That was wonderful. I loved the Shan Sheath, actually. They were hilarious, they but were at the same time... Oh, I thought they were wonderful, Mark. Okay, <laughs> oh, they were God. Cheap. <laughs> the big I chickens. I really enjoyed them. The voices. I really enjoyed the voices. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. characterization. Even though they looked like they came out of the Dark Crystal, but mm. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know. But that's on a television, you know. That's on a children's TV budget. Yeah, it was, they did yeah. wonders with that show on a children's mm. TV budget. Yeah. Uh, for it, look, uh, Silence in the Library. My first viewing of that, I absolutely hated it. Really? Hmm. Yeah. And then the second time I watched it, I absolutely loved it, and to this day, I still absolutely love it. But the first time I watched it, you know what I was thinking. I was just going through the whole thing, thinking, right, he's done that before, and I know where that storyline's going, and he's done that before, and I know where that storyline's going. And to be honest, when it got to the end of the story, all the storylines did go where I think, where I thought they were going. And yeah, you know, I loved it. I didn't mind. I think I just became, I think with that story, I just became attuned to Stephen Moffat's kind of Doctor Who in mm-hmm. a way that made it a disappointment that it wasn't surprising me anymore but now i'm beyond that i'm happy with this kind of doctor who even though it doesn't surprise me anymore because the way it doesn't surprise me does so in a way that i'm really attuned to and really enjoy i don't know i haven't explained that very well but but i had a really weird reaction to that story loved his previous three and just thought like i say that that was almost like a greatest hits of all the tropes he'd used in the previous three stories. Mm. And he would continue to use. I mean, the the sort of mm. disembodied yeah. voice, um, you know, mm. being the sort of the communication outlet with the Doctor was used again in uh, Time of Angels, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, everything he's done, yeah. he keeps on going back to the same things over and over. Yeah. But really, Robert Holmes wrote Holmes, Holmesian double acts, and we celebrate yeah, that. And, yeah, he, yeah. and he didn't even realize it, you know. It just might be one of those, you know, yeah. unconscious yeah. things that writers do. Absolutely. I think the only reason we notice for Stephen Moffat is because they are so brilliant that when he does do them again, you know, it's blatantly obvious he's done it before. Mm-hmm. Whereas other writers will do the same thing over and over all the time. And you won't even notice because it's very standard. Yeah. Mm. Right. Shall we go on to our final story? Let's. Yes. Does anybody know which season we haven't covered yet? It's got to be Series 7. It is. It is. That's amazing that we're actually finishing. We started with Series 1, and we're finishing with the most recent series. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have predicted it. I'm just... I'm going to apologise in advance for whatever story I pull out of the uh, pack of cards now. Because this is not going to be good, is it? It's going to be rings, isn't it? <laughs> it's Hyde! Hyde! Oh, yes. excellent. Now yes. we're talking. Okay. Oh. There you go. That's not too. That's not too shabby. No, not at all. Are you guys in North America aware of something called the Stone Tape? No. No. It's oh. written by Nigel Neal. Yeah. He did Quatermass and lots of other great things. It definitely has echoes of that. Would you agree, Jr? Absolutely. The mm. Stone Tape was a Christmas presentation on BBC Two, I think, in 1972. Mm. They had a tradition of doing a ghost story for Christmas. And I think it was actually on Christmas Day itself. Like a late night thing, 10 o'clock or something like that. Yeah. And every year they'd done these ghost stories. And they were 
usually fairly traditional ghost stories. And then one year, Nigel Neal comes along and does the stone tape, which is almost a debunking of ghosts through technology, mm-hmm. where they're using technology to investigate what is the scientific cause of something that people think of as a haunting, but that actually isn't. Only it transpires during the course of their investigation that it actually is a haunting, and they Nigel Neal comes up with a scientific, a plausible scientific explanation for haunted houses. And subsequently, this television program, a 90-minute film, The Stone Tape, has become like almost legendary in British television circles. Mm. Well, because I mean, of this. I, I'm sorry, JR. Go so, on, it's all right. Well, Image of the Fendal also gave us yeah. Uh, yeah. a ghost story with a real mm. um, a scientific answer as to why a ghost mm-hmm. Very much exist. inspired also by the stone tape. Yeah. Very much so, yeah. You have to seek this out, guys. Mm. <laughs> we stopped talking yes. about Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, th- sorry, that's my fault. Hyde, <laughs> then. Hyde. We should talk about Hyde. Right. Okay. Go on, <laughs> I liked it. It was spooky. Uh, I actually managed to watch a, a preview copy of this one um, in the evening. It was like late at night, like 10, 30, 11 o'clock or something like that, which helped immeasurably, I think, yeah. the house was dark. Uh, we talked earlier about being scared in Doctor Who and watching mm. The Impossible Planet, and, and this one, just sort of like the early moments of this, you know, the first 10, 15 minutes when they're still establishing the mystery of a haunted house, I think this is genuinely creepy stuff. For the first time in a long time on Doctor Who. So I like it. Speaking of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I live on a ma- I live on right on the major road. If I had the window open, <laughs> it would be even louder, so Oh wow. Yeah. Do you know what? Doug Ray Scott in this. Astonishing. Yeah. He was yes. great. I thought I thought the acting in this overall was very, very good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um you know, Matt Smith being afraid uh, may be a little bit off for me, but a bit too much overacting, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, I, I thought... Uh, I don't know what the woman's name is. Um, but Jessica Rain? Yeah, she was fantastic. Mm. And, uh, you know, you kind of bought their little love story. Um, I'm yeah, not, you did. I'm not yeah. I'm not sure I, I needed the, the creatures to be in love at the end of all this. But uh, but overall, you know, I, overall, I thought it worked. It worked extremely you know, well. Do you know the thing about the two creatures being in love at the end? It was... You know, 30 seconds of the screen time, and they could have taken it out, and it would still have been a perfectly acceptable story. But I think putting it in at the end gave the entire previous 43 or 44 minutes a sort of poetry. Do you know what I mean? It kind of tied it it together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can imagine that being. I can imagine that. and that and that's fine, and it and it and it made it work. It wasn't necessary for me, but it made it work. And I like the fact that throughout this arc, the the Jenna Louise Coleman arc, the Clara arc, um, it seems like every story was was the Doctor trying to get answers on Clara. And, yeah. And this yeah, one yeah. and this one, you know, falls into that category um, nicely. And. Uh, and and he didn't shoehorn this in. It it, it almost seemed like you know it felt he, natural. Yeah, it did. It did, and that, that and that's really good storytelling when it yeah. always when it comes in naturally and it doesn't it doesn't get shoehorned. So I was appreciative of that. 
And you know, the worst thing about Hyde is that it's so good they immediately cancelled somebody else's story and asked Neil Cross to write The Rings of Agaten instead. Boo. <laughs> 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 I kind of like The Rings of Agaten. Yeah, I, I don't it, think actually, it's as bad yeah. as people say. I just simply did not like it at all in any way, yeah. shape, or form. So... Did you? Were you struggling with it right from the start? Because I thought the first half an hour was no, perfectly I, fine. I don't, I don't think right from the start. I think I was willing to give it its just due. Except, uh, I you know people listen to me on on mostly harmless cutaway. Yeah, will always hear this about me that I always rate my Doctor Who stories on rewatch factor. Mm, and yeah, and, and I could or whether I'm looking at my watch or not. And in this one, I was looking at my watch. I just, you know, it just seemed like all the dramatic scenes were uh, monologues by Matt Smith and unnecessary mm. monologues. And yeah, that was a, actually a real feature of this whole second half of the series. A lot of monologues. Oh. I found that in a lot of the stories. Mm. A lot of actors yeah. acting to themselves. Monologues in place of conflict, I think, is... is yeah. And, and oddly, it worked in, in Hyde. Um mm. I thought uh, getting getting back on that one, I guess. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I like the whole. I thought it felt really like Sapphire and Steel, uh, which yeah, yeah, you know, just a really compact cast inside a large location. Um, it really worked well, but no, yeah, I bring. Oh God, brings the Pakistan. Why'd you have to bring that up? Why we were talking? We were having such a good time talking about high. That my wife is shaking her head. She liked that episode. Uh, um, Bring her on. Give her the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Erica. Hello, Erica. People are waving. Yeah, that's Erica of Verity Podcast. Everybody, there you go. Nice plug. plug. (laughs) (laughs) I think the uh, the humor in uh, Hyde gets um, fairly short shrift. I think it's a very funny episode as well as being a scary episode. Some great dialogue there. And also, actually, Hyde is one of those stories where, you know, you'll give people a conversation. And conversations in television tend to be either one of two things. They tend to either go to the place where you expect them to go, or they don't go to the place you expect them to go. They go somewhere else entirely, and there's a deception along the way to take Mm. you down a different path that you're not expecting. But in Hyde... There's a kind of a thing going on there with the conversations where they do go exactly where you expect them to go, but they resolve with an unexpected expression that makes you still think the conversation was worthwhile having and listening to in the first place. Like the conversation between the doctor and the professor where he's talking about his actions during the war. And the doctor says to him, what would you have said to those people if, you know, you could speak to them now? And you're expecting him to say something like, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. You know, if it had been a David Tennant story, it would have been, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. But actually, he says, I would like to thank them. And uh, And that seems to me honest and genuine and authentic and surprising and unexpected and almost in a way delightful in that it's a way to resolve the conversation that feels natural, but doesn't give you what you're expecting, which is what you would usually get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of drifted off a bit there, didn't I? <laughs> monsters, guys, <laughs> monsters. Monsters and haunted houses and chalk circles and everything else. All the little horror tropes, which well, all worked up into oh. a really great story, I thought. Have we ever no. actually had 
a haunted house in Doctor Who before. Ghost Light is the only one I can think of where you've actually got inverted commas haunted house. Image you of the chase. Mm? The, you chase. the chase. The chase. Yeah, the chase. Yeah. I suppose you could count Image of the Fendal because it all takes place in a house, but it's not really quite the same, is it? Actually, Image of the Fendal is closer to Base Under Siege than Haunted House. Yeah, it is really, (laughs) to be honest. Really spooky first episode, though. Yeah. Mm. In fact, some really spooky ideas in that one altogether. The skull that glows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, guys, I think actually we've been going for nearly two hours and <laughs> we all seem I mean. to be running. I was trying to look so it's like every, every time at the beginning of one of these you say we're going to talk about Doctor Who for the next hour. I think, really? Come on. You know how these work. <laughs> I know. It's a catchphrase for us, though. I know. I, if I'd have said two hours and we'd have only lasted an hour and 50 minutes, people would have been, felt shortchanged. <laughs> they well, would have. Not, yeah, yep. totally. But okay, it has been nearly two hours, and it's been great fun, and it's not felt like two hours. <laughs> I think yeah, it might be closer fun. to 80 minutes recording time, but whatever. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yes. So there I've we go. The... We, haven't, we haven't broken that many rules. Oh, no, that's okay, then. That's fine. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Hour and 25 minutes. That's about right. Mm-hmm. Okay, then. We'll say goodnight, and we'll possibly do something else again another time. Who knows? Sure. But, but it's been great having you on, Stephen and Josh. Oh, well, it's yes, been thank fantastic you to be on again. You're 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 a you're a new favorite uh, semi-regular podcast co-host, you chaps. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> Even though I'm not sure. Okay then, signing out. I was JR. I was Mark. I was Josh. And I was most certainly Stephen. And we'll speak again soon. And that's it. Thanks, guys. Ta-da. Thank Woo-hoo! you. Right. Thank I'm, you. That, yes, you're right. Actually, I've got the clock for the entire telephone call on, haven't I? <laughs> so that's yeah, yeah I, just, I was looking at recording time. So mm-hmm. I should have brought that up first. I'm going to sound like such an idiot now. We're going to keep talking about Now everyone will think there's like 25 minutes hacked out. Of the yeah. Mm. We did the TV movie in the middle. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The lost tapes of the Blue Box podcast. Actually, we ought to record the TV movie and just not put it out. Just so that we four can have us doing 10 minutes on the TV movie. (laughs) For our own sanity? I don't know. Oh, dear. For our own insanity. Oh, man.